Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Profound Medical Third Quarter 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. My name is Hilda and I will be your operator for today. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. During the question and answer session, if you have a question, please press star and then one using your touchstone phone. Please note that this conference is being recorded. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Stephen Kilmer, Investor Relations. You may begin. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Let me start by pointing out that this conference call will include forward-looking statements within the meaning of applicable securities laws in the United States and Canada. All forward-looking statements are based on profound current beliefs, assumptions, and expectations, and relate to, among other things, expectations regarding the efficacy of the company's treatment technologies, results of future clinical trials, the ability to obtain coding and or reimbursement from third-party payers, anticipated financial performance, business prospects, strategies, regulatory developments, market acceptance, and future commitments. Such statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from those implied by such statements. No forward-looking statement can be guaranteed. Listeners are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements which speak only as of the date of this conference call. Profound undertakes no obligation to publicly update or revise any forward-looking statement, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, other than as required by law. For the benefit of those who are new to the Profound story, I would like to also take a moment to summarize our business. Profound develops and markets customizable incision-free therapies for the ablation of diseased tissue. We are currently commercializing Tulsa Pro, a technology that combines real-time MRI robotically-driven transurethral ultrasound and closed-loop temperature feedback control. The technology is designed to provide customizable and predictable radiation-free ablation of a surgeon-defined prostate volume while actively protecting the urethra and rectum to help preserve the patient's natural functional abilities. Tulsa Pro is CE-marked, Health Canada-approved, and 510K cleared by the FDA. We are also commercializing Sonalive, an innovative therapeutic platform that is CE-marked for the treatment of uterine fibroids and palliative pain treatment of bone metastases. Sonalief has also been approved by the China National Medical Products Administration for the non-invasive treatment of uterine fibroids and has obtained FDA approval under a humanitarian device exemption for the treatment of osteoid osteoma. While we do not expect this FDA HDE approval to have a material impact on revenues in the near term, it is a significant milestone for our company and we are making preparations for its U.S. commercial launch later in 2021. On the call today representing the company are Dr. Arun Manawat, Profound's Chief Executive Officer, and Aaron Davidson, the company's Senior Vice President of Corporate Development. With that said, I'll now turn the call over to Aaron. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our third quarter 2021 conference call. On behalf of the management team and everyone at Profound, I would like to thank you for your ongoing interest in our company. For those of you who are shareholders, we appreciate your continued interest and support. I will turn the call over to Arun in a moment for an update on our commercial activities. 
However, before I do, I'd like to provide a brief update on our third quarter 2021 financial results. As a reminder, we have changed our presentation currency from the Canadian to the U.S. dollar. To streamline things, all of the numbers we will refer to have been rounded, so they are approximate. For the three-month period ended September 30, 2021, the company recorded revenue of $2.5 million, up 13% from $2.2 million in the third quarter of 2020. Total operating expenses in the 2021 third quarter, which consist of R&D, GMA, and selling and distribution expenses, were $8.6 million, an increase of 30% compared with approximately $6.6 million in the third quarter of 2020. Breaking that down further, expenditures for R&D increased 14% on a year-over-year basis to $4 million. This was primarily driven by increased costs associated with new and existing clinical trials, increased spending on MRI utilization, consultants to assist with clinical trial initiatives, travel restrictions being lifted, additional lab rentals in Germany, options awarded to employees, and additional headcount. GNA expenses increased by 35% to $2.5 million due to options awarded to employees, increased insurance costs, and an overall increase to general expenses as offices continue to reopen from COVID-19 restrictions. Finally, selling and distribution expenses increased by 72% to approximately $2 million. Overall, the company recorded a third quarter 2021 net loss of $6 million, or $0.29 per common share, compared with a net loss of $6.1 million, or $0.33 per common share for the same three-month period in 2020. As at September 30, 2021, Profound had cash of $72.2 million U.S. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Arun. Thanks, Aaron. As many of you know, most of the medtech sector faced additional headwinds from COVID-19 Delta variant resurgence in the third quarter. Unfortunately, the pace of new U.S. Tulsa Pro System installations, as well as revenues generated in international markets like China and Japan, continued to be negatively impacted by the pandemic. Tulsa Pro procedure volumes in the United States however, grew 20% sequentially over the second quarter of 2021. This isn't a blip, but rather a developing trend as procedure volumes grew by the same percentage in Q2 compared with Q1. On our last two calls, I focused my remarks on explaining why the disruptions from COVID hadn't translated into our being any less bullish on our business in the mid and long terms. Today, I would like to reiterate that by underscoring how the foundation we have been laying this year should translate into exciting 2022 and beyond. We believe the strong and steady increase in utilization we have seen throughout 2021, even in the face of COVID, is a testament to the high quality of our installed base 
and the unrivaled variety of prostate disease patients that are being treated with our technology. And both bode well for the future. With respect to building a high quality US install base, we have been targeting three major types of end users, early adopters, independent imaging center companies, and opinion leading teaching hospitals. Our early adopter Tulsa Pro sites have continued to treat a growing number and an increasing variety of patients. With respect to the imaging center companies, we have already signed multi-center agreements with two industry leaders, RadNet and Acumen, and hope to sign additional agreements in the future. Finally, as I highlighted in our last call, we also have agreements with renowned institutions like UCLA, Stanford, Johns Hopkins, Yale Cancer Center, Wellspan Advanced Prostate Cancer Center, Mayo Jacksonville, and Mayo Rochester, MGH Cancer Center, UT Southwestern, Memorial Hermann, and Methodist South Antonio. We expect that list will continue to grow as we move forward. Recurring revenue in Q3 was generated from a total of 16 sites. We already have sufficient contracts in hand to install a total of more than 30 sites in the United States and expect to have more by year end. Initially, the typical time from the signing of a sales contract to the site being operational was generally around three months. During this COVID period, however, we have been experiencing delays due to a variety of factors, including a lack of labor at hospitals, parse shortages from our MR partners, and hospital administration's desire to delay deployment of new technology during uncertain times. These delays have increased the average time from contract to installation to 5.2 months. As a result, we now expect that the U.S. install base will be approximately 20 by year-end as compared to our previous estimate of 25. While not what we had hoped, there are actually two good news stories buried in this headline. First, we believe we are only about two months behind at this point, such that we now anticipate achieving the 25 site goal by end of February. Second, we are cautiously optimistic that the delays will begin to diminish by year end. And in the meantime, the team will continue to focus on optimizing the onboarding process with the goal of achieving installation times of even less than three months once the pandemic impact is behind us. While the pace of installations is likely to be ebb and flow somewhat, even without COVID challenges, the available market for Tulsa Pro is as large, if not larger, than what we first envisioned due to its flexibility to treat 
an unrivaled variety of patients. Based on a utilization analysis that we shared on our last call, Telsa was used in all grades of cancers, ranging from low risk to the highest risk patients in the first half of 2021. Importantly, the percentages of patients treated in those risk categories roughly corresponded with what we see in the real world with respect to patient population distribution. Recently, one of the major universities even treated a patient with metastatic cancer, first ablating the patient's prostate with Tulsa and following that up with radiation therapy to kill lymph nodes and other remaining cancer outside the prostate. Based upon the patient population that is being treated with Tulsa, we believe Tulsa can treat more than 80% of prostate cancer patients. In addition, publications continue to show that patients treated with Tulsa continue to show superior outcomes that include minimal side effects such as urinary incontinence or severe erectile dysfunction. Interim results of a European trial named FARP, which was conducted at Oslo University Hospital, were presented at the AUA in September. Oslo University is widely considered to be one of the most credible sites in Europe. So this interim analysis garnered quite a bit of attention with urologists. This is a single site level one study where they compared whole gland robotic prostatectomy or RP for short to focal therapy using either HIFU or Tulsa. Their interim results were poor for robotic prostatectomy with more than 75% of those patients reporting urinary incontinence or erectile dysfunction of various degrees. The trial design only used HIFU or Tulsa for the focal therapy arm. So as you can imagine, the reported results for focal therapy were significantly superior to RP and accordingly, Oslo is recommending focal therapy for a certain subset of patients where localized therapy is possible. Since we joined relatively late in the study, the full results of Tulsa won't be reported until next summer. But even without published data in this trial, there is rather telling indication of how Tulsa performed. Instead of returning the Tulsa Pro system after completing patient recruitment, the site purchased it from us for commercial use as they informed us that Tulsa was clearly the technology of choice as a wide variety of patients could be treated with it and that it was the easiest technology to use. To summarize, while we look forward to the full data, which will include the Tulsa results, we believe there are already two key takeaways from this study. First, the FARP study was the first direct comparison 
between Haifu and Tausa, and the investigators voted with their pocketbook in favor of Tausa. Second, FARP's robotic radical prostatectomy arm is similar to that in our planned level one captain trial. Accordingly, if the RP outcomes in captain match what was seen in FARP, we believe there is potential to demonstrate clear superiority, even though the captain trial has been designed with a non-inferiority endpoint. That provides a good segue to updating you on our reimbursement strategy. We continue to view coding and ultimately payment coverage as a three-year-plus process. In the short to medium terms, we are operating in a cash pay and C code environment, and we think we can continue to grow well there for the next couple of years. As I mentioned in our last call, based upon feedback from the relevant societies, including the American Urological Society and the American College of Radiology, we continue to believe that the clinical publications on the Tulsa procedure, including those we anticipate later this year, will likely be sufficient to meet the requirements for our CPT-1 application by end of this year. If the adoption of Tulsa usage continues to increase as we anticipate, we may get the support that we need to file in 2022. In the meantime, we expect to initiate patient recruitment in the CAPTAIN trial before end of this year. In the study, 201 prostate cancer patients will be randomized two to one to receive the Tulsa procedure or RP. The primary endpoints will include safety and efficacy, including measurements of side effects and non-inferior progression-free survival over time. So as you can see, our strategy is to run CAPTAIN in parallel with the filing of the CPT-1 application. Our rationale is that even though CAPTAIN is not a requirement to obtain the CPT-1 code, the trial may support coverage by insurance payers and will also provide additional clinical data to support significant adoption. To summarize, our team has continued to execute well. We are building a high-quality install base with users including an attractive mix of early adopters, large imaging center companies, and some of the country's most prestigious teaching hospitals. We continue to see broader Tulsa adoption, both in terms of procedure volumes and types of patients treated. Our utilization data points to Tulsa becoming a mainstream treatment in the U.S., providing us with a large market opportunity. And finally, we are progressing Tulsa Pro's reimbursement strategy by conducting additional studies to apply 
for a specific CPG code and ultimately a reimbursement determination. This ends our prepared remarks for today. With that, we're happy to take any questions you might have. Operator. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star one using your touchstone phone. If you wish to be removed from the question queue, please press the pound sign or hash key. If you are using a speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press star and then one using your touchstone phone. The first question comes from Anthony Patron from Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking the question. This is Zach on for Anthony. Uh, first one, can you provide an update on the TAC trial? Sure, Zach, good afternoon. Uh, the TAC trial is pretty much uh, uh, near completion. I think we do have a, a few patients left. Uh, and um, I think the, we are looking to close that uh, either by end of this year or maybe another month or two after that. Uh, and um, I guess you're probably also thinking about the three-year data. I think we did announce the three-year data on the tax yeah. trial, and there yep. was nothing. Yeah, there was nothing unusual in that trial. If anything, the number of patients that are have grade two erectile dysfunction continues to reduce to low double digits at this point. Uh, there's that one patient which had uh, uh, incontinence continues to improve. So there's there's basically on all the the side effects it continues to show improvement with time and there's no no severe erectile dysfunction. And uh, in terms of repeat uh, um, requiring secondary procedures, there's nothing unusual. I think we're in both double digits patients that are requiring um, secondary procedures at this stage Typically, you would be in mid-double digits. So we think that the predictability that if you're kind of cancer-free at the 12, end of 12 months, the likelihood of getting it in the future continues to decline. So I think the data, the clinical data on TAC2 or TAC in general continues to be, to be uh, on track with what we've reported you know, previously. Arun, uh, you said that that data was presented, I believe, at AUA. Where can people find the publication or the, the uh, results? Uh, so it is it is published. So it's a presentation at the moment. Abstract. Um, it's an abstract. So I think, um, Zach, we can make that available to you. I'm sure uh, if you connect with me offline, we can make that available to you. There's actually a okay, presentation then, by, by uh, Dr. Klotz. We can make that presentation available to you. Okay, great. And then on the twenty on the install base uh, expectation for for twenty by year end and twenty five uh, early, early in next year, is that twenty five? The was there any dropout uh, when 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 installs got pushed out, or is that the same twenty five that was expected by year end twenty twenty one? Yeah, yeah. In fact, so there is no dropout whatsoever. Uh, there is no site that where we've installed the system that is not using it or 
every site is looking to increase. That is why you're seeing that our utilization, even though the number of sites did not increase significantly, the utilization continues to increase. And um, uh, and we, you know, the contracts that I talked about in the prepared remarks, they are, you know, uh, very, uh, like every site is defined, there are timeframes that are defined for these sites. You know, there's still some uncertainty because of delivery issues from our MR partners and so on, but the, the, these, the, there's no site that has uh, 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 canceled the contract. We, yeah, I mean, I mentioned 30. By the time we finish this year, will be more than that, in fact. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Thanks. And then one last question just on uh, on procedures. We're hearing through the 3Q earnings season, staffing shortages are impacting procedure volumes across MedTech. Um, you guys obviously are performing well on the procedure volume side, but curious if staffing, you know, if, if that procedure volume number would have been even higher had it not been for, for staffing shortages, if you guys are seeing any impact uh, on that front. Yeah. Thanks, and we'll, we'll hop back yeah. in queue. Sure. No, Zach, I think, you know, I know everybody's tired of hearing about COVID. So are we. And as I mentioned in the prepared remarks, we grew 20% sequentially from Q1 to Q2 and 20% from Q2 to Q3. And if you analyze and annualize these numbers, that is about 80% growth over last year. We, there's no doubt in my mind that if there was, if there was no COVID, we would be growing in triple digits. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. And so, yes, I think the staffing shortage issue in particular that you asked, uh, we're seeing that at large hospitals. We don't necessarily see those issues at imaging centers, uh, but we do see that at large hospitals. Thank you, Zang. Thank you. Our next question comes from Raul Sarugasar from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, Arun, Aaron, Stephen. Thanks so much uh, for, for taking my question. So um, recognizing, of course, that, you know, we're all quite tired of, of hearing about COVID. Um, and so not, not to beat that dead horse then, you know, do you have a sense now as we are in Q4 and, and you know, hopefully entering into Q2, what you're seeing on the ground in the hospitals in terms of their capacity to accommodate your teams for installations? And then just to sort of a follow-up yeah. to that question is, could you maybe speak to your team's capacity to install this backlog throughout 2022, um, you know, such that it's likely more than the five per quarter that you had previously indicated was your capacity? Yes. Um, Raul, you're right in that sense that um, we're all tired of COVID. Um, with respect to um, the capacity uh we, you know, we have enough people in the company to be able to install at a pretty rapid pace right now. As you can imagine, this is a very high priority. Uh, and as you can imagine, you know, quite frankly, our sales team exceeded their goal in terms of new contracts. And so uh, 
installing and get going. And we also know already from our install base that once the sites get the product, it may take them a little bit slower. They take maybe a little bit faster, but every one of them will use the product. And so we are absolutely anxious to get there. And, and it is a high priority. So number one, it is not an issue uh, that we have the capacity to do it. And number two, we will not let be an issue. I can assure you of that. Uh, we have enough people and we will get this, the, the devices installed. The bottleneck really is at the hospital level. Um, the, the first question you asked was related to, are we seeing a change in the hospitals? And I have to be honest, we, have, we are not seeing big change yet. Uh, we are tracking, for example, like everybody else, uh, the number of patients who are COVID-related patients at these hospitals. And we are certainly seeing a significant drop. And we're you know, watching the warm belt, which is where we are. And that is where generally the COVID issues have been the most severe. Um, we're not seeing a significant change uh, at the moment, and part of it is related to labor shortages, part of it is related to parts shortages, and I think that that is still going to take some time to resolve. But, you know, I, I think we, our best guess at the moment is that we should be able to, based on the feedback we're receiving, we should be able to get to 25 by end of February. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that clarity. Um, and then moving on to uh, reimbursement, you sort of were speaking about the CAPTAIN trial and reimbursement in, in tandem, and, and so please forgive me if I missed this. Yeah. You had previously yeah. indicated that you would have everything in place sort of by end of this year to be able to, you know, get your application in next year. So could you maybe elaborate a little bit in terms of the timelines you should expect when things are being submitted and when we should expect to hear, um, you know, responses from CMS? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, um, Raul, the reimbursement process is a complicated process. And what we did is we sort of looked at, uh, we modularized it basically. We looked at different things that need to be done to get to the finish line. And the finish line is basically not only getting the CPT1 codes, but also convincing insurance companies that they should cover, which means they should actually pay for the procedure. And so by separating them, we think it's a smart strategy because it reduces the total time. It will still take you know, three years or so, but, but we think it's a smart strategy to be able to do this in parallel. So let me come back to the original statement so I can re remove any confusions. So, by end of this year, we will have everything that we need to qualify to file for the CPT-1 application next year in terms of publications and, and clinical publications, which typically tends to be the biggest bottleneck, right? And that's what I've been saying, and, and we will absolutely meet that objective. The reason we are doing another clinical trial in parallel is not for the purpose of filing for the CPT-1 application, but for the purpose of providing extra, very high quality data, which would be level one data, that would make it 
much easier for insurance companies to then do using the competitive study, be able to say, hey, we should pay for this procedure. So it's really planning for the longer term future, why we have started where we're starting this study now, rather than later on. That, that's, the, that's the goal. Um, and and the, the level one study, the captain study, we have received very positive feedback from our urology community because they are not only seeing that as a way that, hey, this company, this, if they get the CPT code, then re, uh, coverage will be a lot easier having those, that data. But they also look at it and say, this is you know, a pretty credible uh, study design. It will help them make decisions about using our technology and ultimately drive uh, recommendations from the society. So I think they look at us and they say, hey, this company really is trying to do the, the right thing from the clinical perspective also. So, so those are the broad objectives. But as I said, we will definitely meet the objective of meeting the clinical requirements so that we can start writing the CPT-1 application and file for it in 2022. Terrific. Thank you very much. And if you just indulge one more question for me, please. Um, sure. You, you talked about the, the FARP study uh, and, and, and timeline readout for Tulsa likely next summer, uh, recognizing that in that study we did see superiority of HIFU over uh, RP and that we've separately seen superiority of Tulsa over HIFU. So I think, you know, there's probably pretty good confidence there. Um, so as far as timelines on the CAPTAIN study go, uh, you know, beyond, of course, the pre-readout or the, you know, the portending that we'll see from the FARP study next summer, um, how, you know, what do you see as initial data readouts on CAPTAIN? And can you maybe elaborate a little bit in terms of the timeline sure. you should be looking for on, on the read data readouts for CAPTAIN? And that'll be sure. it. Sure. Sure, absolutely, Raul. So I think that the study uh, design has 201 patients, and um, we will be in low single digits in terms of patients treated by end of this year. That's our goal. Um, so we'll probably have two or three patients. And um, if I look at, you know, timeline, the best way to look at it is to compare the, the recruitment rates it for tact and see how will that compare. And we, you know, kind of started in TAC with about five patients a month and ultimately we were treating about ten patients a month. So if I look at it from that perspective, I think sometime in twenty twenty three we should be able to complete recruitment. And once we have finished recruitment we should be able to, just like TACT is presented at AUA, we should be able to start presenting at AUA uh, every year. And data such as PSA, uh, data such as um, immediate information on incontinence and so on should begin to come out. Now, I again, you, you know very well these are uh, multi-site level one studies, so the investigators uh, and the lead investigators will ultimately make the decisions on when to publish the actual information. But we should be able to, you know, my best guess would be that sometime in 2023, we should be able to start sharing the, the, the information. In the Great, meantime, Raul, we will, yeah, in the meantime, Raul, we will definitely 
talk about the recruitment rates as we go. So you'll begin to have much better idea of when we begin to start reporting. Great, thanks very much, uh, and, I'll, and I'll get back in the queue. Thank you, Aaron. Our next question comes from Josh Jennings from Cohen. Please go ahead. Hi, this is uh, Neil on for Josh, and thanks for taking the question. Um, I think several of my questions already got answered, so why don't I just uh, maybe shift focus to just in terms of the sales funnel and how, how that's tracking. Could you, you know, do you have any updates in terms of the imaging center channel and kind of your expectations from the, uh, you know, your, your partnerships with Acumen and, and Radnet? Sure, Neil, uh, good afternoon. Uh, the the uh, Radnet site that we have is uh, fully operational and they are continuing to increase the number of patients. Uh, Rednet has identified the, the other two sites. At this point, they are looking to uh, add MRIs. So I think there is some construction that will need to take place. But I think that our best estimate is sometime mid-2022, those sites are likely to be operational. Uh, again, these are not commitments at the moment. I think these are the best estimates given the uncertain environment. Uh, but we're pretty much on track with the, with the, the uh, uh, you know, increasing those the RedNet sites uh, next year. For Acumen, our expectation was that we should have our first site uh, operational this year. I think we will. We certainly have the site identified. Uh, everything is on track. Uh, we should be able to get there, if not certainly in the first, you know, in the by end of February, as I mentioned before, we should be able to get that first site operational. And um, uh, we have, you know, we've been in dialogue with them in picking additional sites. And as you know, they have acquired uh, oncology, uh, a company with oncology. So we are going to sort of look at some additional sites uh, rather than the original sites to see if it actually makes sense to be able to use some of those sites where they can take advantage of the C code and so on. So I think there is that dialogue is continuing. Uh, the interest level in general by imaging center companies is, is uh, quite good. Uh, we are talking with additional imaging center companies and which is why in the prepared remarks I mentioned, you know, we may have more agreements like this. So, you know, it's it's a kind of a paradigm shift also for these imaging center companies. In some ways, you know, the early adopters was the easiest one because they know how to get patients. They know the whole process is in place and we're simply replacing a technology and they, by design, they are, you know, they're being able to get up and running and they've really challenged the technology to its limits. And And the hospitals are also in that in some ways relatively easier in the, in the sense that they, you know, have access to anesthesia, they have urologists, they understand operational details of bringing a technology. For imaging center companies, it's been a bit of a paradigm shift because they're used to high volume, low margin diagnostic business. And um, they are not, uh, they're, they're, you know, it's a big change for them. So they are, you know, 
you know, when RedNet got started, they they sort of understand this is a low volume, high margin business. And uh, but I think long term it looks looks uh, uh, you know very very attractive for us. Got it. And I think you may have been alluding to this already, but just in terms of the, I think you know Acumen had recently acquired the Alliance business. I was just kind of curious. You know, right. sounds like you're already that's already impacting the dialogue. Maybe just if you talk about what kind of impact that could have on the partnership. Yeah, Neil. I think from our perspective, um, and I mean, I have to preface that that it's all these are all relatively new things. But from our perspective, it's a positive move, right? Because oncology and prostate cancer, and then they are going to manage hospital sites. Hospital sites can use the code. Uh, there is already an infrastructure in place to be able to treat complicated patients like this. But they will have the staffing to do that. So I think from our perspective, this is a positive development, and we are really looking forward to to increasing that that uh, relationship in the oncology side. Great, thanks. That's it for me. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Our next question comes from Frank Takinen from Lake Street Capital. Arun, Aaron, thanks for taking my questions. I wanted to run back to the uh, installs a little bit more. Heard many different things, staffing shortages, training, all those types of things. But maybe just bring us a layer deeper into what are the main things holding up the installs from actually becoming active or ask slightly differently, what are you specifically counting on getting resolved to get to the 25 number by February? Uh, Frank, uh, I appreciate your question very much. Uh, I wish I could tell you that there is just one issue that is holding things up. Uh, unfortunately, that is not the case. Uh, it, it is a little bit case by case basis. Um, you know, I, you know, there are hospitals where they're not even able to because of staffing shortage. They're not even able to operate all of their operating rooms, and I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard this. A uh, number of companies have talked about that, that uh, staffing shortage is an issue. And the staffing shortage sort of translates for us in administration saying, look, I'm having a hard time keeping my current uh, operating rooms running. You know, I don't really want to start something new at this stage. If I can delay by a few weeks, I would like to do that. Uh, uh, I think there are uh, certain delays in, you know, modems and imaging and parts from our MR partners that need to be there in order for us to be able to communicate with the existing MR units. Uh, and so there are a series of these little things, and these are why it's very frustrating for companies like ours right now. But I would say the number that we are relying on, which I mentioned in the prepared remarks is, as you know, we analyze and measure everything. And, and our original goal, which you could, you know, if you go back in our analyst calls, you'll be able to hear that our, our goal originally was from the time we get a contract signed to three months, we want to be operational. At this point, given these, all these small things, we are at 5.2 months. 
And so that is where you can see the numbers add up while we're saying end of February. Uh, it's based upon real data that we have seen in terms of delays. And I think that there's certainly our hope and expectation is that there won't be new delays, that things are starting to normalize. Even though it is early, we haven't seen a whole lot of normalization yet. But I think that as they do normalize, that we should not see an increase in that installation time. So I know I may not have answered it, your question in, in um, a very specific way, but this is as about as specific as I think I can give you at the moment. All right, that's helpful. Um, maybe speak to utilization. I don't think I heard you reference it this quarter, but speak to what kind of utilization rates you're getting out of your your earliest users, as well as the two couple or the the two new activations that occurred in this quarter as well. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, there's no significant news on that. I think that the sites that are more than a year old, we are very confident that they will hit the, the number of 100, user, 100 procedures per site. That number is very much intact. Uh, I think that we are beginning to see, very early, but beginning to see more than one urologist uh, per site uh, at a couple of our sites now. And I think as that begins to happen again there also, we should feel pretty confident about getting to the 100 procedure run rate. And uh, I think the at the hospital big name sites, our original goal was to be at about 40 procedures per year. I think that's a solid number, continues to be a solid number. Uh, and I think some of the newer sites are more commercial sites and, I, and we are quite excited about some of these sites. We haven't necessarily publicly announced because they're not installed yet. But uh, I think some of those sites we think could be, you know, somewhere in between these big name hospitals and the early adopters. So we may go, you know, beyond 40 in the first year. So I think from the utilization perspective, we are, you know, I feel pretty, pretty good overall. Okay, that's helpful. And last one for me, just wanted to circle back to uh, Neil's questions on the acumen acquisition of Alliance. Maybe just level set us on what this does to the acumen installed base and more specifically what of that installed base looks like directly applicable opportunity to profound. Sure. Um, so I think that when we were, in fact, negotiating, we were under a confidential agreement. So we, uh, you know, I was certainly aware of the fact that there was something. I did not know exactly what it was, but certainly that there is dialogue. But, uh, and so I think, you know, when we originally talked about 10 sites, and by the way, those, those sites are not included in the 30 number that I said to you before, uh, because they're not fully defined. The 30 number is Defined sites. Um, the, the, the thing that is interesting about this acquisition for, for Acumen is that it broadens them beyond, you know, a, a imaging uh, service provider. And imaging service provider is, as I mentioned before, a high volume, low margin business that really uh, management there is just focusing on how many, you know, how, what's my utilization 
per device versus in the oncology centers that they will be managing, uh, the, the synergy is actually even stronger because now, as I mentioned before, they have uh, the infrastructure in place already and they have the ability to use C code so they don't need to necessarily uh, build up a cash practice, which you know we can help them do that, but, but I think it becomes an easier startup. And so, you know, I think in the mid to long haul, it, we see that as a major positive. Now, we haven't quite defined which 10 sites or can it be more than that, can it be less than that. We haven't quite defined those yet, but I think at the level of strategy, we see that as a positive for, for both companies. Got it. Thank you for taking my questions. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. We have a question from Scott McCauley from Paradigm Capital. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, taking the question. Um, I just wanted to maybe put a finer point on the um, the kind of contract backlog. Um, so you sure. mentioned you the kind of signed in uh, contracts for uh, more than 30 sites. So that's kind of net new sites um, that that are signed but have not been installed. And as kind of you just mentioned, just to reiterate, that does not include the kind of acumen sites um, as part of that multi-site agreement. So, you know, that 30 plus is actually, you know, 40 plus um, if you include those. Is that it, correct? So, so it includes one site from from acumen because it's defined. Um, but uh, um, the the total number that I was defining is the total number of contracts that we have signed in this year, or total. That includes the existing sites also. I see. So the 30 includes sites that have been installed so far this in year. Yeah. So it's That's not to right. kind of total, total net potential net new sites um, moving forward. That's right. So our goal for the you know, number of contracts or number of sites for this year was in that range of 25, as we have talked about before. But on that particular, you know, uh, uh, metric, our sales team has actually exceeded their goal in a difficult year. So I think that's the point that I wanted to make is from the perspective of what the profound team can do, we're executing really well. And if there was no COVID, we would have exceeded that 25 goal, in fact. Definitely. No, that, that's great. Thanks for that clarity. Um, just on the kind of procedure volumes and, and how that relates to, to the revenue you saw um, in the quarter, you know, you highlighted the 20% plus kind of increase in procedure volumes, um, but looking at kind of that recurring revenue line that um, you're starting to report looks, you know, about equivalent to, to last quarter. And, and I know, you know, that's not yeah. just the per procedure payments. Um, there's the leases and, and other things I believe in there, yeah. but just can, can yes, you talk sir. about that disconnect between that increase in procedure volumes and kind of that maintained level of, of revenue? Yeah, no, I think that is exactly as you said, that is uh, in uh, the numbers, the absolute numbers being small is, is where, why, you know, there is a certain lease that comes in one quarter and doesn't in the next quarter because those are yearly things. But uh, if I look at the 
uh, number of patients you that were treated and the revenue from that patient, it is 25% higher. And I recognize we, you, we don't want to be that granular because those things can get to, there's never ending granularity there. But our price point is sticking to the numbers that we've talked about uh, in that 7,500 to 8,000 in, in 8,000 plus range in most cases. So I, there's no uh, dilution on pricing. There's no uh, dilution on anything else. I think that uh, you're seeing is really the service and uh, the some of the some of the uh, shortage, particularly from the international market, recurring revenue is the global number there. So I think that's what you you're seeing. Definitely. No, that's great. And and lastly, for me, um, just on you touched on utilization, but in in terms of kind of BPH versus um, cancer patients, are you seeing kind of any any trends there? Again, kind of highlighting the the recent you know IPO of of Procept um, yeah. and kind of their yeah. their technology that's focused only on on BPH. Um, on BPH. You know, any comment comments around that? Sure, uh, Scott. Um, a large majority, most of our patients are prostate cancer patients today. Uh, and in fact, not every site is treating for BPH either. Uh, there are a few sites in US that are treating for BPH, but they are focused on very large prostates. Uh, you may have heard about one that was done recently that was like 277 cc, I think, in one shot they treated. So. Um, our market really is prostate cancer first and the extreme, I, I call them extreme prostate. And the one area that we think is going to be very important to our business where we will not compete with, uh, where we uh, not, we actually don't compete with Prostat. Uh, in particular, is the area where, as we have talked before, there are, over uh, 2 million uh, patients in the United States who have been diagnosed with uh, early stage prostate cancer and they are on active surveillance. And this patient population also has a high percentage of BPH. And if you look at the 510K clearance for Prostat, uh, it explicitly says that it is not uh, approved for patients who have cancer. It is a for BPH only. And so that market where patients who have BPH and also have early stage cancer, we provide them with a twofer in the sense that we can take care of the, the BPH, but we can also take care of the early stage cancer so that they can, you know, be completely done with both of these. And uh, we are likely to put a trial design for this and, and do an additional clinical trial, particularly for that subset of population. And I think that will allow us to really broaden the scope of our PPH uh, application for TUFSA also. Uh, and I think sometime in the first half of next year, that's one of the things that we are working on on, on doing. But um, you know, we're excited to see the, the Procept uh, come out. I think overall, um, 
you know, they have already covered the CPT1 part. They're already ahead of us in that sense. And uh, we are, you know, starting our process in that area. We will stay with cash and C code for right now. Uh, but I think in the long term, uh, it's good to see another company with imaging and, uh, uh, you know, in, incision-free uh, uh, type procedure going, you know, using anesthesia and, and so on. So the component technologies, you know, it's sort of uh, sister technologies coming in. It's, it's kind of good to see that, actually. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. And now I would like to turn the call back to Mr. Arun Menawat for final remarks. Thank you so much. And I guess our next call will be the year-end call. And we really look forward to uh, connecting with you again at that time. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference. We thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.